Today's lectionary reading comes to us from Matthew's Gospel, the fifth chapter, verses 1 through 12. Listen for the word of God. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. So this is it. If you've been in church most of your life, uh, I hope you've heard these words. Um, this is the, the beginning of the greatest sermon ever preached. Now, not my sermon, of course, but maybe we should hold judgment. It could be. I don't know. Um, let's, let's not be judgmental. Um, but no, this is, uh, this is the Sermon on the Mount. This is when Jesus begins the Sermon on the Mount. And it begins with eight proverb-like proclamations lacking any narrative structure. I don't know who Jesus' homiletics professor was, but this is a bold strategy. Um, it's a very bold move, but then again, Jesus was a bold, fully human, and fully divine guy. It's certainly a startling opening. The crowds that followed Jesus could have taken it one of two ways. The first, who does this Jesus think he is, right? Announcing the inheritors of the kingdom of God. Yet, it is written in chapter 7, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, that the crowds took it the second way. It says, the crowds were astounded at his teaching. He taught with such authority and in a much different way than their scribes had been teaching them for years. And I think we would all agree that this, this second version is better than the first. Um, yet I, I, I wonder if the crowd had missed the point. Um, and what I mean is it's kind of a strange reaction considering the content of the Sermon on the Mount. It would uh, it'd be sort of like going with a group of friends to see Shawshank Redemption in the theater and being blown away by the costume design and the cinematography. It's not really the point. I mean, the reason they had gathered in the crowd in the first place is that they thought Jesus had something to say. The crowd didn't need to be there. Their gathered presence already had granted Jesus some kind of authority. It's also important to note what the author of Matthew doesn't report. It doesn't say that the crowd dropped everything and followed Jesus as a disciple. It doesn't announce any transformation. It simply doubles down on the original position. This fella is a really dynamic speaker. He delivers his hot takes with such esteem. And what it ultimately shows is that Jesus was getting famous. The Jesus movement had started, and anytime Jesus had a speaking engagement, people would line up around the block to hear what Jesus had to say. And it's no coincidence that Matthew's account of the Sermon on the Mount 
occurs almost right after Jesus is tempted with fame in the wilderness. The only thing that comes between the wilderness story and the Sermon on the Mount is when Jesus calls the disciples. And it is written in Matthew 4.24, So Jesus' fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all the sick, those who were afflicted with various diseases and pains. The point is that everywhere Jesus went after this, a crowd would gather. Jesus was getting famous. And the crowds had not been called by Jesus like the disciples had. The disciples followed Jesus at his command. The crowds followed Jesus because they were interested, intrigued, maybe even curious about what Jesus could do for their health or their businesses. We shouldn't be too critical of the crowds. After all, it was only 12 that Jesus called disciples. Yet, in both the Gospels of Matthew and Luke, the authors try painstakingly to distinguish between the disciples and the crowds. And the, this beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, tell us why. This chasm between the disciples and the crowds frames the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is addressing both the crowds and the disciples, no doubt, yet they hear two different things. The Beatitudes are simultaneously encouragement and warning, an assurance to the disciples and a cautionary tale to the crowds. Jesus needed to know that those who followed him could be counted on when things got tough. He needed to know that when he was stripped of all his fame and influence, if he would be enough. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus needed to ask the crowd the question that the disciples had already answered. Am I enough? Just me. Am I enough? Jesus wanted to shoot straight with the crowd. He wanted to make sure they knew what it meant to be blessed, simultaneously preparing the disciples for what was to come. He ends the beginning of the sermon by telling the disciples, Rejoice and be glad, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets. Not very reassuring. He begins the end of the sermon by saying, The gate is narrow and the road is hard that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Jesus knew the kind of life the disciples would lead, and he wanted to prepare those in the crowd who were prepared to join them. He wanted and needed to tell both groups the truth. Both groups followed Jesus, of course, yet the disciples would be intimately exposed to the kingdom of heaven that had come near. Proclaiming the kingdom and following Christ as a disciple would lead them into a world that wasn't willing to cede power to the new kingdom, and they would, be willing to, they would, be, they would need to be willing to risk everything. I know this is sort of a long opening, but what I'm trying to say is that the audience gathered include hearers and overhearers, the disciples, and the crowds. To put it more concretely, there is a difference in being a fan of Jesus, thinking Jesus might have some interesting things to say, and being a disciple of Jesus, those who would risk everything to share in the work of the kingdom. And Jesus wanted the disciples and the crowds to know what the disciples had signed up for. And so he begins to preach. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Privation is the lot of the disciples in every sphere of their lives. They have no security, 
no possessions to call their own, not even a foot of earth to call their home, no earthly society to claim their absolute allegiance. For Christ's sake, they have lost all. Jesus preaches knowing about the crowds too. Some of the representatives and preachers of the national religion whose feet are firmly planted on the earth, who are deeply rooted in the culture and piety of the people and molded by the spirit of the age. Yet it is not they, but the disciples who are called blessed. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus continues, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. With each beatitude, the gulf is widened between the crowd and the disciples. The crowds dream of progress, of power, and of the future. But the disciples meditate on the end, the last judgment, and the coming of the kingdom. The disciples are strangers in the world, unwelcome guests, and disturbers of the peace. They are bound to creation as they mourn for humanity. They are comforted by Christ, the one who mourns for even his torturers. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The disciples are meek. They renounce every right of their own life for the sake of Christ. When reproached, they hold their peace. When treated with violence, they endure it patiently. When people drive them from their presence, they yield their ground. They show by every word and gesture, gesture that they do not belong to the earth. Those who now possess the earth by violence and injustice shall lose it. And those who have utterly renounced it, who were meek to the point of the cross, shall inherit the new earth. Blessed are those that are hungry and those that thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Those who follow Jesus grow hungry and thirsty on the way. They are longing for the forgiveness of all sin, for complete renewal, for the renewal too of the earth and the full establishment of God's rule. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness find it in the bread of Christ's flesh, in the wine or juice of Christ's blood. The sight of the fulfillment of their hunger and thirst is in Christ. He goes on, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. The disciple has an irresistible love for the downtrodden, the sick, the wretched, the wronged, the outcast, and all who are troubled with anxieties. The merciful owe their lives entirely to Christ's mercy. They cast their gaze on the distress and humiliation of others. They show their mercy not with self-comforting assertions, but by walking alongside those who cry mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Emptying oneself of all selfish desires and impulses forces the disciple to rely solely on Jesus. When they look inward, they see only God. They do not seek to glorify themselves, and by seeing God, they see Christ in others. Blessed are the peacemaker, for they shall be called the children of God. The followers of Jesus have been called to peace. When he called them, they found their peace. Jesus is their peace. Now they are told that they must not only have peace, but make it. The disciples keep the peace by choosing to endure suffering themselves rather than inflict it on others. The peacemakers will carry the cross with their Lord, for it was on the cross that peace was made. Now that they are partners in Christ's work, they are called the children of God, as Christ is the child of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Not recognition, but rejection is the reward for the disciple. They are made righteous by the righteous one. It is for this reason that they renounce possessions, fortune, rights, righteousness, honor, and force for the sake of following Christ, that they will be distinguished from the crowds. And then we come to the last beatitude, which is different in both form and content. The first eight beatitudes are left ambiguous. Jesus is offering himself to the crowds and to the disciples. They all start with, blessed are the, or blessed are those. Jesus is encouraging the disciples, announcing their blessings and inviting them. Inviting the crowds to follow him, but he needed to tell the crowds what they were signing up for. He knew that the disciples were not just fans of Jesus, but they followed Christ intimately to the cross. The last beatitude is important because it is the one that is not left ambiguous. It is not a the or a those. I imagine, the text doesn't say this, but I imagine this is how it went. Jesus gathered the disciples really, really close to him and looked all of them right in, his, in the eyes really intimately. And Jesus said, blessed are you. When people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you, rejoice and be glad for your reward is in heaven. So it begs the question, who would want to be a disciple anyway? Those who are poor in spirit and meek? Those who hunger and thirst and are persecuted? Who's going to sign up for that? Is anybody in the crowds really going to sign up for that? You know, when our interim pastor, Danny, Master, Danny Massey, delivers the benediction in charge every Sunday, he reminds us to bear the name of Christ carefully. That charge is both an encouragement and a warning. He speaks to the hearers and to the overhearers. He speaks to those who have made the decision and continue to make the decision daily to gather at the feet of Christ as the disciples did. He speaks to those who might be fans and even though they are fans, they're slowly pushing their way through the crowds. They know that discipleship is about risk and they're not sure. They're just not sure yet. Most of my life, I, I can admit, I've been one in the crowds. I'm just not sure. I'm still not sure. Um, and we deal with this often. But it begs the question, who would want to be a disciple? We're left with a, a blank. You know, Jesus goes on to talk about the salt and the light of the earth. But what it comes down to for Jesus after Jesus was garnering all this fame and the crowds were following Jesus for maybe his good looks or his fame or his great speaking talent or his healing, which you can't blame the crowds. And Jesus needed to be clear. I need you to know what you're signing up for when you become a disciple. And so who would want to be a disciple? Just for those for whom Jesus is enough. Amen. Amen.